Welcome to City Speak with Max Masutafarkas. You've seen this scene a million times. A character in a movie or TV show is having an exceptionally bad day. It's raining outside. They are standing alone by a curb, waiting to cross the street, when suddenly a car zips by, soaking the character in brown, dirty water. As if today couldn't get any worse, they seem to say. These days, such a scene is becoming increasingly less likely. Not because bad days are any less common, as nice as that would be, but because the curbside is less and less a place where you can find cars driving quickly. Jordan Justice, the founder and CEO of Automotis, says that the curbside is suffering from a congestion problem. As e-commerce and food delivery have grown, so too has the number of cars, trucks, and delivery bikes parked, often double-parked, on the side of the road. Jordan shares with us how he is using parking cameras and computer vision to assist cities to clear the curb of cars. Stay tuned for that and more on today's episode of City Speak. Jordan Justice, welcome to City Speak. Thanks for having me, Max. So, Jordan, when an entrepreneur like yourself decides to start a company, the problem they'll set out to solve is often one they've come to know personally, whether through another job, some specialized education, or otherwise. Did you have any such experience that got you interested in the problem space you're now working in? Not particularly. I will say I studied entrepreneurship in college, which exposed me to a wide range of companies, one of which was a parking technology company that came in and told my class that 30% of traffic in cities was caused by drivers searching for parking, which got the wheels spinning. But outside of that, living in Los Angeles, you don't have to look very hard to find yourself stuck in congestion. And at the same time, computer vision technology was really still in its infancy, not that it's not today as well, but I was exposed to it and really saw an opportunity to leverage that kind of technology to address the challenges caused by parking. But I didn't you know, go to Parking Institute or study urban land use or anything like that. It was really just being someone who lived in Los Angeles and dealt with traffic every day and being exposed to a little bit more of the specifics of the problem and recognizing an opportunity and leveraging new technology. For background, for our listeners who may not be familiar, what is exactly, in the most basic sense, computer vision technology? It is more or less video analytics. So taking information out of image data, using video cameras to automate data collection, automate operations by identifying different types of objects and how they're interacting with the field of view. So you've identified a fairly unique problem space in which to apply computer vision technology. So I'd like now for you to describe the actual problem that Automotis is tackling. Parking, delivery pickups, and drop-offs in cities may not immediately seem like the sexiest topic, but you've maintained that it's actually quite important. Why is that? It's a great question. And I would absolutely agree that it's not the sexiest topic. And in a lot of senses, it's an incredibly frustrating topic. Anybody who lives in a city can walk outside their front door and see a UPS truck or an Amazon truck blocking a traffic lane. 
that's increasing at an incredibly rapid pace. And it's a problem that is not only relevant in your big tier one cities like in New York or Los Angeles, but you can see it in cities like Omaha or Pittsburgh or Bellevue, Washington. And it's something that is not going away because all of us as consumers are driving more and more e-commerce vehicles, more and more on-demand delivery vehicles to the roads that don't have parking allocated for them. Most public right-of-way is allocated towards passenger vehicles, which are stopping for anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours, whereas you have your on-demand delivery and e-commerce vehicles stopping for five to 10 minutes. And so because there's not space allocated for them, they have to double park, which leads to more congestion, more emissions, more safety hazards. And these challenges are not going anywhere. They're only increasing, as does the volume of our consumerism. And so cities really need to tackle the challenge of managing their public right-of-way and more specifically their curb space more efficiently to ensure that we can help reduce congestion, emissions, and double parking hazards caused by the increase in commercial vehicles. For the purposes of illustration, I think it'd be interesting to dive into one of the case studies of Automotis. And the one I'm interested in is your project in Santa Monica. Can you walk us through that? The initial pitch, which I believe our listeners would be interested in hearing to its final implementation? Absolutely. No, I appreciate you bringing that up. It's actually quite an interesting project and one that is somewhat groundbreaking for the U.S. and North America in general. Santa Monica, just about a year ago, put out a request for proposals to support their efforts in launching the nation's first zero-emissions delivery zone, really using curb space and parking as an incentive for EV adoption of commercial fleets by dedicating loading zones for emission-free vehicles, specifically for the purposes of commercial activity. You've seen some of this in Europe. Uh, There's been a number of cities that have created green zones or emission-free or low-emission zones. But in the U.S., there's really been little to nothing on a policy effort from a local government perspective trying to drive emission-free vehicle adoption. And this has been something that the city of Santa Monica worked closely with the Los Angeles Clean Tech Incubator to put out that we responded to basically to help them really ensure that not only are they putting out the policy tools to ensure that there's an enforceable zone that's dedicated for these types of vehicles, but also means to measure and manage how these zones are being used. And so what we pitched is really using our technology, computer vision software, to better understand what's happening on the ground, using cameras posted on streetlights to monitor curbside space to say, what percentage of vehicles are using this space are zero emissions vehicles, how many vehicles are parking versus double parking, how long they're stopping for, whether or not they're commercial vehicles or passenger vehicles. And it's pretty amazing to see the effort that went into the project, not only from the city, but from the community, because it really does require a lot of partnerships here to try to change this industry in such a massive way. You can't just allocate 20 parking spots and expect your local delivery services to now go out and buy all Teslas or Rivian trucks to help out with their delivery load, you really have to take a multi-pronged approach. And what was unique about this project was their ability to really gather the community, talk to a lot of local businesses, as well as 
national players who are really forward leaning in this space to get fleets like, for example, fluid trucks to partner with Nissan to deploy their zero emissions trucks in this zone and get other companies to use them. And there's a few bigger companies that are now joining the project. But what we're doing is really helping the city better understand how these zones are being used, informing policies locally, as well as other cities now who are looking at implementing zero emission zones like New York City and Los Angeles to ensure that they have the tools to allocate these spaces, monitor them, ensure that they're actually being used properly, because it's one thing to make a policy. It's another thing to actually be able to enforce it and ensure that it has the intended effect. And then scale up the incentives and disincentive systems that make these types of policies really work. But it's still early days. We've deployed just about 20 zones now. The Department of Energy has since funded another 400 zone expansion across Santa Monica, Los Angeles, and Pittsburgh with the goal of also testing discounted pricing for EVs to ensure that we have systems in place that continue to really scale the adoption of EVs because commercial vehicles see a much quicker ROI than you or I might in buying an EV. And so that's where we see the largest opportunity in reducing emissions. And we're really excited. City of Santa Monica is a great leader in the space. And there's a lot of great early findings here, but there's still a ton of work to be done. And you've framed that particular project as something of a pilot. Do you anticipate these zones being scaled in cities elsewhere over the coming years? Yes, absolutely. The city of Santa Monica has already expanded this from a, a one-year pilot to a multi-year project. As mentioned, the Department of Energy has since backed the project and is scaling it up to another 400 zones across Santa Monica, Los Angeles, and Pittsburgh. There's a lot of other cities that we're talking to and that you know Santa Monica and Los Angeles are talking to who have both now deployed zero emission zones. This is still early days, but these two cities have really built what is the blueprint now for implementing these types of projects in cities across the U.S. I know that automated pay-by-the-minute is a critical part of the automotive solution. And in fact, I understand that it represents one of your main, if not your only current revenue streams. Firstly, of course, if you wouldn't mind defining what automated pay-by-the-minute is, But my question on that is then two-part. One, how does Automotive's product improve parking payment in cities? And two, particularly for those of us who may regard paying for parking as the bane of city driving, why is more automated parking payment a good thing? It's a great question. I don't know anybody that loves to pay for parking, but it's a critical element of ensuring that you can actually balance your limited supply with in increasingly abundant demand. But what we do in our solution by automating parking payment is more or less turning curbside parking into a toll road type solution. We have our cameras mounted on streetlights monitoring curbside parking, anywhere from four to six parking spots where you can fully automate payment by the minute, where we can read a vehicle's license plate when it pulls in, all while blurring non-relevant license plates, blurring all faces, that may be relevant to the scene and it's only saving that license plate for the purposes of transacting, well then charging vehicles that park 
by the minute. So if you stop for seven minutes and it's 10 cents a minute, we'll bill you 70 cents. You don't need to open up an app. You don't need to pay in a meter. And the reason for that is that commercial vehicles will not open up an app. They won't pay in a meter. They don't have phones that they're assigned. And often cases, it's actually quite contradictory to what these companies' policies are for their drivers. But these companies, UPS, Amazon, DoorDash, Uber Eats, they're more than willing to pay their fair share because it helps them in a number of different ways that we can get to shortly. But what we do is automate the payment process to reduce friction to help commercial vehicles really ensure that they're able to pay their fair share without burdening them with further manual interference from their drivers. And outside of that, it also can extend to passenger vehicles and other parking areas. But the goal of automating parking payment is really to ensure that cities are able to charge folks by the minute so that everybody's paying their fair share and ensure that it is a streamlined process that works well with the existing operations of commercial fleets. So two clarifying questions. One is, you mentioned at the moment, you're targeting just commercial vehicles and passenger vehicles are still to come. Is that right? And then secondly, can you walk us through the actual mode of payment for these commercial vehicles? So you said that you'll get the license plate of a commercial vehicle. How then are these companies being charged? Are they getting something in the snail mail? Is there an email that's sent to them for billing? How does billing work ultimately? Great questions. As far as where we're at today, we're exclusively charging for access to loading zones or flex zones, which are primarily commercial, albeit you or I could register and pay. And then as far as how the process goes, to your point, there's really two different workflows here. On the commercial side, most companies today have some relationship with the city for parking tickets. UPS, for example, paid $33 million in parking tickets in New York City two years ago. Wow. And none of that is tax deductible. That's the cost of doing business that's already passed down to the end user. And they have a working relationship between the accounts payable team at UPS and the accounts receivable team in the city of New York. And they have an active list of whether it be license plates or payment information to ensure that folks are paying their fair share, albeit the UPS and the city of New York have more of a tenuous relationship given, there's often some pushback between whether or not they're going to pay 100% of their citations or threaten to take all 100% of their citations to court and clog up the New York civil process for quite some time. And so what we do is convert a lot of those existing relationships from a paying for parking tickets system to paying for parking as you go which is tax deductible and actually helps these companies save quite a bit of money because while they're now paying for parking along the curb, like you or I, they're avoiding parking tickets and they're paying for something that is tax deductible. And so we onboard them through their existing workflows. And that's something that's done through partnerships with a number of great organizations that already support some of these operations. Outside of that, we also allow drivers to self-register or fleets to self-register and that can be done through a number of ways, whether it be in front of a parking spot, you can scan a QR code, input your license plate, register with any given company, and then be charged by the minute after adding money to a wallet. More or less, it's the same way that it works for a fleet. Say they add $10,000 to their wallet and they stop for 15 minutes and it's 10 cents a minute, we'll just deduct $1.50 from their wallet and then pass that along to the city. And then for those that aren't registered in the system, 
there's a number of things that we can do. And it's all contingent on city ordinances and state vehicle codes around, to your point, whether we'd send something to the snail mail or alert folks on the ground to enforce it, or in some cases, automate enforcement as well through the mail. But it's all contingent on state vehicle code, city ordinances. Unfortunately, as I'm sure you and many of the listeners here today know, in cities, we have a lot of different policies nationwide, right? And there's not a one-size-fits-all solution. You have to understand the land, regulations, ordinances, so on and so forth. In a previous episode of the podcast with the LA City Planning Director, we discussed how the rise of e-commerce has impacted the built environment with distribution centers, for example, becoming more of a regular feature of the urban landscape. You touched on this already, but it's, I think, a critical part of the automotive philosophy. You seem to hold generally a similar view about e-commerce, only your focus, of course, is on its impact on streets and mobility. Can you talk more about this and whether you believe that trend will continue? And then specifically, the impacts in the years to come on emissions from e-commerce delivery vehicles? Absolutely. I wish it was as simple as what I believe, but unfortunately, there's a lot of data out there that shows that these vehicles aren't going anywhere. The World Economic Forum reported that by 2030, we're going to see more than a third uptick in delivery vehicles, which will lead to more than 33% increase in emissions, equal increase in congestion, and by and large, a lot more time spent sitting in traffic for you and I and everybody else. So these problems are here to stay. And delivery vehicles are more or less likely going to remain in a pretty similar form factor in most cities. You see a lot of cities implementing e-cargo bikes and delivery robots. But given the urban sprawl that we have in so many U.S. cities, there's not likely going to be a perfect solution to really reduce the footprint of vehicles nationwide. So we see a huge part of solving this problem is reallocating curb space for an increasingly popular user in commercial vehicles. And so that's really where our focus is. The emissions associated with them, I think, is something that we can address more quickly than emissions in a lot of other areas in transportation, given the ROI that these vehicles will see from transitioning over to electric vehicles more quickly. But that doesn't mean that it's going to happen overnight, specifically with a lot of the smaller and more local delivery vehicles. They need incentives like what Santa Monica and Los Angeles are doing to drive EV adoption. But it's an exciting and challenging time for most city planners in tackling the e-commerce boom. But with every challenge comes great opportunity. And I think a lot of cities are seeing it that way. And it's an exciting time to really re-envision how we use the public right-of-way and try to dedicate more space to walking and biking and more active modes of transit for your typical citizen while ensuring that there's enough space for the growing commercial sector as well. You mentioned earlier that the automotive cameras will deliberately blur out extraneous details from imagery other than license plates and relevant details to billing of commercial vehicles. This naturally leads to questions about privacy, and I think that's what you're sort of touching on. Given that Automotus analyzes, I'd imagine, tons and tons of video footage captured by mounted cameras in cities, 
Have there been any concerns around privacy? And if so, what generally is your company doing to address these concerns? Yeah, it's a great question, Max. And it's something that is incredibly relevant, not only to what we're doing, but to motion generally, I think, in the space for cities and companies as data is increasingly relevant to making decisions for these cities, but also how we collect data is becoming more and more invasive in a lot of cases. We're fortunate to, I think, have learned early on that you can take a private by design approach if you really focus on preserving individual liberties and making sure that you're not infringing on anybody's personal privacy. But that doesn't mean that you trust companies that say that. And that's something that I think cities do a good job of or an increasingly good job of ensuring that companies are providing third-party audits of their data management practices, ensuring that they're actually taking the privacy practices outside of how they manage data, but actually how they collect data as well. And what we've done is fairly simple. Yeah, as you mentioned, we're a computer vision company, a video analytics company. We have cameras out on the street, but we also have our processors right there inside the camera as well to ensure that we're not actually saving video footage that we don't need. We're processing the images in real time, collecting the data around how many vehicles there are, what kinds of vehicles there are. Are they parking? Are they double parking? We're not saving every frame. We'll save a frame for the purposes of transactions, like I mentioned, while blurring all of the non-relevant license plates, blurring everyone's faces to ensure that we only have the data critical for A, informing policy and planning, and then B, for automating transactions. Outside of that, there's a number of ways that I think cities are really spearheading tackling these challenges. And we've been fortunate to be a part of some great groups that are doing it, like the Open Mobility Foundation, who has really worked closely with cities and private companies to create privacy practices and standards for the new types of technologies that cities are now using. Because a lot of these existing policies are somewhat outdated. And there are more nuanced approaches to privacy that enable both automation and preserve individuals' privacy. Because it can often seem like a black and white conversation, but it doesn't have to be because there's a lot of things that cities can do to ensure that all measures possible are being taken to preserve privacy while still having the tools that they really need to address a lot of the challenges that they're facing around emissions, growth, congestion, inequity and mobility, while still ensuring that they have the tools needed. But it's a complex topic. We're fortunate to have a great team that has built this into our platform from day one. And we would encourage anybody who's interested to read our privacy policy as we've focused very hard on making sure that it's something that reflects communities' concerns. We've already discussed that e-commerce will continue to rise in the coming years. A concomitant trend that I think is just around the corner are autonomous vehicles, a topic we've discussed at length on this podcast. It seems to me that with the rise of autonomous vehicles, there will be corresponding concerns and implications for parking in cities. How does Automotus intend to fit into that vision of the future? Well, I'd say, first off, autonomous vehicles more or less have to comply with the law, right? Whether it's for their own reporting purposes, 
for example, in California, the state DMV, they have to tell you how many times they double park. And if they can't find a parking spot and they have to let somebody out, they might circle the block for 20 minutes. They might drive four blocks up. And what they need from our conversations with AV companies primarily is well-managed public right-of-way. If they can't access curb space, they can't operate. And if they can't comply and operate in a way that doesn't penalize them, they might get their license pulled. They might not be able to even break past the hard coding in their system that would let them stop. And so in a lot of ways, AVs will behave very similar to commercial vehicles today with the added complexity of hard-coded compliance. And so what they need as much as anything is really, really well-managed curb space so that they have somewhere to stop and let passengers in and out. I don't know if you've seen some of their challenges and in stopping, but if you go in San Francisco and you see Cruz and Zooks and Waymo, they'll just keep driving. They'll need to let somebody out, but they'll circle the block two or three or four times, which increases congestion because there's nowhere for them to stop. And so for us, it's you know similarly continuing to provide information to cities and what's actually happening on the ground and how different types of vehicles are using the public right-of-way sharing parking availability data with companies, whether it is a delivery vehicle or an autonomous vehicle, so they can see where an open parking spot is, and then ensure that people are paying their fair share and that these spots are being used efficiently and made available as frequently as possible through the incentives and disincentive systems that cities have, like payments and enforcement. But that's generally it. I think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done, both from a technological development perspective as well as from a policy perspective for us to get there. But it's going to be critical to have smart infrastructure that actually interfaces with these different types of vehicles, as well as with the laggards, whether that just be you or I driving in a car or somebody else, because you can't have a system in a city that isn't equitable. You can't have a payment system where you or I can't pay with some form of cash. You can't have a system that doesn't allow for anybody to access these different types of zones, typically. And so you need to ensure that you have the infrastructure that can support these, including intelligent infrastructure that can interface to and from the city with these types of vehicles. And so that's where we fit in. You know, there's a few different exciting projects going on that hopefully we'll be able to share more details on in the next few months. I can add more color here, but there's ways to go. Excited to see a lot of progress, though, and hopefully share some more data. Fantastic. Jordan Justice, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Max. This has been City Speak with Max Masuda-Farkas, produced in partnership with Urbanize Media, with audio production and music by Greg Gordon-Smith. Stay tuned for our next episode.